Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So it's about the oldest uh, joke in the book. In pantomime, it's called, He's Right Behind You. That's the gag. That's the shtick. The ironic point being that there's a moment in a show, a movie, whatever it might be, where there's someone on stage, and the audience can see the person, and then they can see someone coming up behind them, but this person is completely unaware. It never stops being funny, even if it's a little played out as, you know, a trope or a meme a little bit. It's everywhere in pop culture, from cartoons to anime, from The Office to Harry Potter. Uh, think about how many times in the Harry Potter films, Ron Weasley is just sitting there talking about anything, and behind him is Neville, shift, shifting his weight, being nervous, or Professor Snape, as Ron sticks his foot in his mouth, and you see the sneer wonderfully beginning to curl on Snape's lip, or, or Hermione bursting into tears and running off. I think every iteration of Batman or the Batman, whatever it is, there's a moment where there's a villain and then right behind them is Batman, ready to pounce. Some people here old enough to remember the movie City Slickers. There's a moment where Billy Crystal's character, he's talking about this old crusty cowboy named Curly. Curly's going to take them out on an expedition. He's talking to his friends and Billy Crystal's talking and his friends see that right behind him, here comes the cowboy. And Billy Crystal's character says, didn't you guys see? Did you notice his eyes? He has crazy eyes. This guy's a lunatic. We're going to be led into the wilderness by a lunatic. And everyone's face, they're terrified. And he drops the one-liner you've been waiting on. Oh, he's right behind me, isn't he? He's right behind me, isn't he? Sometimes I like to imagine that's what happened in John 20. <laughs> You know, St. Thomas, how he, he and the other disciples are gathered, and they've told Thomas, the Lord is risen. And he says, whoa, not so fast. Unless I see the wounds. If I place my finger in his hand, my hand in his side, um, I will never believe. And I just imagine right there, the risen Jesus standing behind him. <laughs> They're like, man, he's right there. He's right behind you. And in fact, a few days later, it says Jesus just kind of sneaks up on them. That he appears in their midst, even with the locked doors, and enters into the conversation. He's right behind me, isn't he? Uh, most of us probably know this passage. It's a fairly well-known passage. Um, first, what Deacon Joe read for us is the risen Lord Jesus. Um, he meets with most of the disciples, uh, but Thomas is not there. Um, we'll talk about this later. We don't really know why Thomas wasn't there. But his absence gives us a unique opportunity. Because in many ways, we're like Thomas here. Um, we've not seen, we've not touched the risen Jesus in this way, but we've heard the report that he's been raised from the dead. Well, how do we respond? What questions might we have? We can put ourselves in Thomas's shoes as he voices very valid questions, even with a little bit of uh, humor in here. Uh, in verse 29, I think the Gospel of John, uh, the writer has you and me in mind. It says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 31 says, The whole reason I wrote this, these are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. Now, you're here on a Sunday morning at St. Thomas Anglican Church. And so as you might guess, we actually like Thomas a lot around here. Um, we had the choice to select the name for our church. We had to get the bishop's approval. That's how we do things in our tradition. Um, but we chose St. Thomas. Uh, we actually had something else previous that was tied to the resurrection, but we had to go with St. Thomas, which we're thrilled with. But when we decided to be St. Thomas, we were told that we could actually have one of three names. We could either be uh, St. Thomas Anglican Church, which you notice, one out. Um, we could be St. Thomas the Doubter Anglican Church. There are many churches called St. Thomas the Doubter Anglican Church. Or we could be St. Thomas the Apostle Anglican Church. Um, it's, it's interesting. This character, St. Thomas, um, is so well known that you could name a church either of those, the Doubter or the apostle, and I thought, you know what? I actually think both of those are valuable. Let's go with Thomas. But let's look in our passage at those two sides of this fascinating saint. St. Thomas the doubter, St. Thomas the apostle. Sound good? All right, first, uh, St. Thomas the doubter. Here, we're introduced to him. He's called one of the 12, called the, the twin, Thomas Didymus. Um, the other gospel writers, he's introduced almost without comment. Just, oh, he's one of the, one of the 12, Thomas. Um, the first time we hear him speak in John, we realize that we are dealing with a serious individual. Um, in John 11, uh, he lets Jesus know, this is his first words, that he's willing to die with Jesus. That's how serious this individual is. Um, in John 14, Jesus is inviting his closest friends to follow and Tom says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's interesting. This man is willing to follow unto death, but first he wants to know the way. <laughs> That's fair, right? He's asking some fair questions there. Um, I don't think he's hesitant. I don't think he's fearful. I think Thomas is honest. And at times he's consistently confused. Um, willing to follow, but needing clarity. Asking good faith questions. And I, I like Thomas so much because I can relate to him. Can't you? Honest, consistently, maybe confused. Lord, what's happening here? Uh, willing to follow if indeed the path is made clear. Needing clarity, asking questions. And, and I think my favorite thing about Thomas um, is he doesn't ask questions for the sake of asking questions. Um, everyone knows a friend like that. They're going to be contrarian. They're always going to ask questions just for the sake of asking questions or poking. I see some professors here. Um, I'm sure when I said that, a student came to mind with their hand up and their neighbor rolling their eyes. <laughs> no, Thomas is not trying to be contrarian here. He's not asking questions just for the sake of asking questions. I think it's fair to say that Thomas is both doubtful, but he's curious, and he's, he's eager. He, he wants to know the answers, the real answers, not the easy answers. And by voicing his question, the other side is you understand that Thomas thinks there's actually answers to be found. And so he takes his questions exactly where he should take his questions, to the Lord Jesus. So, here we are, John 20, just a recap. Lord Jesus has been crucified, 
buried in a borrowed tomb. He burst forth in great victory. We celebrated this last week in Easter. Um, Easter Sunday, that everything that went into the tomb came out, but something happened. Something amazing, something glorious. Um, he was resurrected. And, and the gospel writers then, for the rest of their time, they struggle to describe Jesus, to wrap words around this new glorious reality, um, the one that some people recognize immediately, and some folks don't know who he is. For some individuals, when he speaks, they, they hear that sound and, oh, this is my Lord. Um, in some cases, uh, he's eating fish on the beach later on with Peter. He's hungry. But then here he's going through the locked doors. He's been resurrected. We, we don't fully grasp all this. Um, and I think that's hard for us. I think if we can't pin something down, we struggle with it. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who was a Presbyterian minister, um, he comments on the way that Easter has not proved to be as much of a hot commodity as, let's say, Christmas. It says, the do-it-yourself, self-help culture of North America has so thoroughly permeated our imaginations, we don't give much sustained attention to the biggest thing of all, resurrection. And the reason we don't is because the resurrection is not something that we can manipulate or control or improve on. He points out, again, it's interesting, the world has had very little success in commercializing Easter turning it into a commodity the way it has Christmas. Have you seen some of the attempts at Easter movies? <laughs> They're terrible. They're really, a bunny is not a compelling figure. It's just not. It says, no, if we can't get a handle on it and use it, we soon lose interest. It says, but resurrection is not available for our use. It is exclusively God's operation. God does something. God has done something, and God will do something. And so the risen Lord Jesus is reunited with his disciples. But it's not all of them. Um, we know Judas is gone, but apparently Thomas is not there either. Um, and there, there's been speculation. Maybe Thomas was so distraught over the death of the Lord, um, he was just off by himself. I don't know. Some people process uh, grief with others. Some people, they want to be alone process. Maybe that's Thomas. Um, I don't know. I, I was kind of thinking just as a joke, <laughs> you know, the risen Lord Jesus, he, he comes out of the tomb, that's Easter. And then the next time that the, the, the worshiping community comes together, there's people missing. Um, every pastor knows that's true the Sunday after Easter. You're not Thomas, your friends are who were with us last Sunday and didn't quite make it back today. I'm sure they'll be back next week. That's okay. Um, but Thomas is not there. He misses out. He's the last to find out. And I wonder if that wasn't always a problem for him. He was always trying to catch up. Always seemed like people were in on something he hadn't learned about yet. Thomas, interesting figure. Um, and they tell him, we have seen the Lord. Thomas says, whoa, whoa, whoa. unless I see uh, in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark, my hand into his side, I will never believe. Hmm. Again, I can relate to Thomas. Again, you might guess our church is named after this saint. Um, when I was growing up, um, I was the one asking too many questions in church. Um, and I had lots of questions. And those poor, godly Sunday school workers who had volunteered to be in my classroom, um, they didn't know what they signed up for. <laughs> um, and honestly, my questions were rarely welcomed. 
Um, I can remember after one or two questions, like, hey, let's hear from someone else. That's really, that's church speak for shut up. <laughs> um, let's talk about that one-on-one after this. Um, no one else really has that question. Ooh, that's, ooh, that one digs. That's implying you're asking something that you're not supposed to ask. No one else has that question. I, I was usually shushed, told to have more faith, or, or people rushed to just give me a quick answer um, to make sure that I was okay. Um, and, and I don't want to be too hard on them. I, I think in good faith there were, um, there were folks that were worried that when I was asking a question, that what I was really saying was I didn't want to be a Christian. But really, I was asking questions to find answers. And I thought there were answers to be found. And I realized it might be messy. It might take time. It might not even be the answers I wanted. But I was pretty sure they were out there. And so I would ask my questions. And I would be shushed. And I was told to be quiet. And maybe that's part of why at this point I said, well, then I'm going to plant a church in Athens. <laughs> and get a microphone. I don't know. <laughs> um, But do you see what happens after Thomas says this? Nothing. I'm I'm just struck by this every time. He says, unless, da-da-da-da-da, I will never believe, period. New paragraph, eight days later. Man, I can't imagine if I asked a question saying, I'm not going to believe my Sunday school teacher letting me go eight days without giving me an answer. But there's no anxious rush to answer Thomas or his doubts or his questions. None of his friends pull him aside. Hey, we don't ask that here. Be careful. They don't shush him. They allow him the grace of community and patience. He stays among them, we assume. They exhibit patience until this key encounter with the risen Jesus. And it's, just, it's a lesson, I think, that so often our goal is for people to agree with our answers But the priority is that they, like Thomas, would encounter the risen Christ. They don't feel the need to defend Jesus. He just rose from the grave. He can take care of himself. They're not scared of questions that might be asked. He just rose from the grave. (laughs) He can answer them all. Now we're in his due timing. God is working out his perfect plan of salvation. But I think... Folks who do start with really honest questions, good doubts, honest doubts. What's amazing, because when they actually encounter Jesus, uh, well, that's how we go from doubting Thomas to St. Thomas the Apostle. Um, When it clicks, it clicks. And the Lord gets a hold of people. So let's look at uh, what happens next. Verse 26, again, Jesus came and stood among them. And they say, even though the doors were locked, I really think that they're trying to be funny here. It's okay occasionally to see humor and irony in the Bible. He's right behind me, isn't he? That kind of a thing. Jesus just pops into their midst. Ah, peace be with you. They're like, whoa, I didn't see you there. And then he looks at Thomas, and we found out that he has read Thomas's mail, just like he's read your mail and read my mail. He singles him out. I think kindly, tenderly, put your finger here. See my hands. Uh, Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. It's a command and it's an invitation to Thomas. Jesus meets his doubts. He meets his questions. um, And he meets them with grace and with answers. He meets them with himself. That's the key thing here. He, He says basically, hey, come to me, bring all of your doubts, 
all of your questions. If that's what you need, here, you can, you can touch me. Put your fingers in the wounds. Put your hand in my side. And by the way, we don't have time for this, but is it interesting to anyone that when Jesus is resurrected, he still has his scars and his wounds of glory? Interesting. Well, here, I just want to point out that Jesus is um, eminently humble and patient and tender. Um, can you, I mean, think about it. Like, very God of very man just defeated death. He's standing there. He's like, man, if you need to verify, come on. The tenderness, the, the condescension in the best sense of the term. He has stooped low, stooped on Thomas's level. If this is what you need, here I am. One scholar says Jesus meets his requirements to the letter and to say, should, should a Lord be so accommodating? But isn't that accommodation the, the wonder of Jesus? From his incarnation, should a Lord be a baby? To his crucifixion, should our Lord die? To here, where Thomas requires physical verification and Jesus offers it. I think we're told here that honest doubt is something the risen Jesus clearly honors. And look what happens. We don't hear that Thomas said, oh, good, let me touch. Apologies to Caravaggio, who I love. <laughs> you know, Caravaggio has the incredulity of Thomas where he's touching the Lord's wounds. Um, we don't see him do that. No, he hits his knees. My Lord and my God. The person with the most questions in all of the Gospels leads with the uh, most glorious proclamation and understanding of who Jesus is that we've seen yet. My Lord and my God. And then Jesus, again, I think with a twinkle, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Or as Hebrews puts it, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What we see is a doubt-filled disciple hitting his knees in faith-filled worship. St. Gregory the Great, who he was the Pope in like the 500s, a little bit, a little, little while ago, let's say, says it was not an accident that this particular disciple was not present. The divine mercy ordained that a doubting disciple should by feeling in his master the wounds of the flesh heal in us the wounds of unbelief. He said the unbelief of Thomas is more profitable to our faith than the belief of the other disciples. For the touch by which he is brought to believe confirms our minds in belief beyond all question. And so Jesus doesn't chastise Thomas for his doubts, his questions. He meets them with grace and patience. Um, that community, they, they could wait. They knew that if Thomas would only encounter the risen Jesus, that would answer everything far better than they could. And so they wait with him. And they knew that Jesus had risen, that he was alive, that he was able to meet their friend Thomas, just like he can meet you, meets me, meets our friends, our family still today. And Thomas just reminds us that, that we can find all of our grace and answers in the risen Lord Jesus. I will say, I'll just speak to this for a moment. Um, from this moment, uh, when he hits his knees, my Lord and my God, Thomas's ministry is incredible. Um, after, after Pentecost, he goes out as a missionary of the church, and we find that he kind of crosses above uh, the northern part of what we know as the Middle East, um, he, and then he keeps going. 
Uh, Thomas ends up going as far as India. Um, and there are churches now in India where they have statues to Thomas. Um, there's a whole group of churches called the Martoma churches rooted in the ministry of Thomas. And there's places that will mark where they think Thomas was martyred. The one who said, can I place my hands in your wounds, later received wounds of glory by giving testimony to his Lord. He's martyred uh, for the faith. And I would just say that that shift from good questions, honest doubts, an encounter with Jesus to them being sent out and changed, uh, friends, that actually inspires my vision for what this church is and, and what this church can be. Uh, the kind of place for those who have honest questions to come and ask them. Uh, the kind of place where if you need to come here and just sit for a while, for maybe eight days, whatever it is, like that's okay. There's a gracious patience of the community who allows you to do that. Um, we want to be a place where if you come, you're like, all I can do is cry. That's all right. We're fine with that. Place where you can raise your kids, can be messy, that's fine. Um, but we want here to, this to be a place where people encounter the risen Jesus. Where they meet him, they're, they're sent out on mission, where honest doubters become faith-filled saints. And so that's why we gather even the Sunday after Easter. Um, this is traditionally called Low Sunday in the church uh, because the festival is a little bit less, but usually the attendance is a little less as well. Low Sunday in the church, but it just kind of asks, well, why do we gather? I mean, last week, Holy Week and Easter, we had church like eight times. Why do we need to come back? <laughs> it's a good question. Well, we come because we want to encounter the risen Lord Jesus together. We come because we know the Spirit's present. When we meet, we come to encourage one another to build up the body in love and to be a place where others can encounter the risen Lord Jesus for the first time. I mean, when I think about how and why we gather, I mean, yeah, we want the building to be beautiful. Um, we spent 70 Sundays. A lot of them were outside, and those were lovely in their own right, but it's just there's something about sacred space. Uh, the beauty of, of art and creation um, we, we want the people to be friendly, hopefully. Uh, we want to feel like there's folks that will take an interest in us. And that there's a place that we could serve. Um, we want our kids to be um, formed in the faith and loved and safe when they come to church. Uh, we want the music to be good, to delight in the Lord. We, we want the preaching to be passable, at least. <laughs> but no, we, we don't gather just to hear a sermon or to sing a song. We, we come here to, to hear from the words of life and to come to the table and to meet with the risen Lord Jesus, to encounter and experience the Lord together. So I would say, if you are fairly new to our community, we've had a lot of new folks in the last few months, or if you're just getting back into things, um, we're glad you're here. And, and I want to invite you, as you explore, if you've got questions, if you've got doubts, reach out. Um, we're not afraid of questions, and we really like coffee. Um, we love sitting down for coffee to talk about them. Um, but take them to us, but more than that, take them to the Lord Jesus. He, he can meet all of your questions uh, with himself. It might take time. It might be a process. But have the courage to start doing that. I have to follow and continue following the Lord Jesus, even in the midst of questions and doubts, of suffering. I'm sure Thomas, I'm sure those doubts flared again at his martyrdom. 
There's always questions that persist and doubts that persist, but the Lord meets it with his grace. We know that the risen Lord Jesus loves us. He loves you. He loves me. He's willing to be patient with us. He doesn't shame us for our questions, but he meets them with himself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.